From the high desert in Far East West Texas, this is the world's fastest growing sports media podcast with that sports TV ratings. Hi, I'm Robert Seidman, and joining me today is the Washington Post's sports business slash media reporter, Ben Strauss. Ben, welcome to a podcast that is probably going to need some rebranding to survive. <laughs> it's, a, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me, Robert. So uh, I'm glad you're out there doing what you do, and I, I personally love that uh, sports fandom is uh, mostly, or at least sometimes, a bastion of irrationality. But when uh, that sort of fan irrationality encroaches on the business end of things, I do wind up uh, rolling my eyes an awful lot. So when I, I heard you and uh, Jimmy Train on Jimmy's podcast disagreeing rather vehemently over Stephen A. Smith, I thought I can definitely hit the eject button on sports TV ratings and ride off into the sunset with the knowledge there are still some stewards of rationality out there. So thank you for that. Well, I don't know. Was I the steward of rationality or was Jimmy the steward Uh, of rationality? In that case, you were the steward of rationality, in my opinion, although I stand steadfastly with Jimmy in uh, calling the service spelled D-A-Z-N, Dazen, instead of whatever they want us to call it, that they could have spelled it differently but didn't. So I'm I'm, I'm with Jimmy. We're all stewards in our own way. So this will probably be an all ESPN, Lebetard, Pataro, politics, and sports podcast. You've reported extensively on the topic of ESPN and politics, and you recently, uh, although before the Lebetard stuff blew up, you recently uh, took in a Yankees game with Pataro and pretty great seats, too. They were good seats. Yeah, they were good seats. They were good seats. When, you, uh, when you're the worldwide leader in sports, uh, you uh, you get some perks that come with that, I think. Yeah. So uh, on the goals, but I, I will say the Washington Post paid for uh, our ticket. Though there were no there were no giveaways. Okay, that's that's actually is important to say. So uh, on the goals of keeping ESPN off of Drudge Report and uh, improving relations with the NFL, what's your grade for Pataro? I think he gets. Well, I, I guess the grade changes post Levitard, but. Pre-Levitard, uh, if that's you know what we're grading, I think he gets an A, right? Yep, I have to agree with you on that. And po- uh, post-Levitard, where do you have him? You know, post-Levitard, I would say that um, the consternation, the drama, the uh, sort of however you want to describe, you know, the brouhaha, um, felt contained. Um, and so I would, I would say that I would, I would give him, you know, a pretty good grade. Even post Levitard too. Maybe it's maybe it's a B. Um, uh, B as a boy. Yeah. Yeah. Because even right, I, I think Levitard asked like this philosophical question that is you know very interesting. Um, but in terms of ESPN drama, you know, you didn't see anything mushroom like it did you know in 2017. Um, you know, there was no you know public uh, punishment. There was no um, continuation of of that news cycle it it felt pretty contained in a way that it didn't in 2017 so you know in terms of you know a no drama you know stay off judge report sort of uh mentality i think sort of you know the levitard event wasn't great for it but in the aftermath it, it seems to have died down pretty quickly yeah, so the downside of doing a podcast with you is is it's going to be boring because we're probably going to agree on just about everything. Uh, I think, <laughs> you know, I, I think I give them, I, I, I like your grades. I, I might even give them an, an A after Levitard, just on just in those two dimensions anyway. And uh, I think it seems to be working, but it really aggravates 
uh, when I like periodically, and I've, I've been undisciplined on this Twitter sabbatical, and I have checked in periodically, more periodically than I should have, uh, with Twitter. And when I do check in, I see that you know there are a lot of folks who are carping on ESPN's policy, and people are saying, "But will they talk about this?" where sports and politics clearly intersect, like say something like Robert Quinn joining the Dallas Cowboys and saying, ah, you know, we might need to talk about this national anthem thing. I think uh, ESPN has been pretty clear cut. Oh, we'll, we'll talk about that. That's, that's, that's totally in bounds. Um, but the, the commentary I see around it doesn't necessarily think that that is definitely in bounds. What's your take on that? Yeah, I think you sort of, I think like the first part of the question was, was, pretty spot on. And I think before Lebetard said anything, I think you could watch ESPN, you know, on a regular Tuesday or Wednesday and not notice much of a difference, you know, in ESPN, you know, pre-Pitaro, post-Pitaro. You know, Bomani Jones and Pablo Torre have a TV show. You can still hear, you know, Will Kane and Stephen A. Smith and Max Kellerman debating, um, white privilege on, on first take, yep. you know, they did a whole thing, you know, that went viral about Kate Smith and God bless America. And I mean, that's, you know, as political as it gets, I think, um, yep. you know, as long as you have the, the sports lens. And so I think, you know, Pataro comes in and you've got a lot of bad press. It's not great for ESPN, the brand, when you have Fox news and, you know, Breitbart, you know, turning your network into a pinata and basically tried to thread this needle. It seems to have, you know, pre-Levitard done a a fair job, a pretty good job, I think we said, of of telling those people that were not political without, you know, lobotomizing the network. And then Levitard comes along and says, you know, maybe – it's more than just what's on ESPN screen, right? It's what message are we sending about the network? And it's, it's sort of more of a philosophical question of what ESPN sort of, you know, wants people to think of it or sort of, you know, they are the worldwide leader in sports. So the way they cover sports, I think, matters and the culture and, you know, in, in the wider world. And, and I think, you know, what makes his question and that commentary you know, so relevant and important is, is actually sort of like more of this philosophical thing of, you know, what does ESPN want to be and what is it telling people it wants to be and sort of what sports should be, you know, in this world in 2019. Yeah. You know, so I, I feel honestly that Dan deprived us a little bit because we can only speculate about what would have happened had Dan done exactly what he did, said exactly what he said about uh, Nick Wright's tweet. Uh, but left off the whole, you know, firing missiles at ESPN over their policy. How do you think it would, but, you know, I'm going to ask you to speculate. How do you think it would have played out had he not uh, added those, uh, you know, missiles into the mix? I guess I, you know, sort of like from ESPN's perspective, it probably, probably, I don't know how different it would have been. I think you would have had people, you know, oh my God, you know, he's, you know, broken the politics policy. He's talking about Trump. And so you would have had similar headlines. I, I think it was just more pointed. It was sort of to a higher degree, more pointed and sort of more, again, like I said, sort of this philosophical question of like, what does ESPN want to be? Because he you know, took aim at the network. But I still think you would have had the same headlines, you know, Dan Levitard breaks politics, politics policy. You know, they would have had to 
address it, you know, with a meeting, you would have had, you know, what's going to happen to Dan Levitard, you know, all sorts of the same questions. I think it was a little more personal because, you know, because he not only did he, you know, lambast Trump, but he, you know, lambasted his own company. I I guess the word cowardly sort of sticks out to me too. It wasn't just like, you know, we have this policy. I don't agree with this policy. I mean, it was cowardly is, is the word he used. And, um, you know, in the story that I did, you sort of have to unpack. Yeah. You know, so, you know I, 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 you know, Dan's, Dan's premise that, that it's cowardly because, you know, they need to use the Robert Quinns of the world is, is I, I think, I think his word might've been meat shields. I, for, I forget exactly what he said, but, uh, um, and, and I understand where that's coming from, but I also think about it in this way, uh, particularly with, with, you know, what's going on in the white house. There, there are so many meat shields out there that there's always going to be, it seems like, an opportunity uh, to talk about a lot of this stuff. And, and I, I wonder, like, how bad of a policy is it really in practice if they want, you know, how restricted are they even philosophically if there are so many opportunities for people to talk about this stuff? Yeah, yeah. I think when I say philosophically, it's sort of more of the brand thing, because I, you know, I've talked to people, you know, at ESPN, I don't necessarily know how, you know, straight jacket restrictive it is, right? It's not that hard if you want to talk about, you know, something political, you know, to, to run it through that lens. I, I don't think, um, I don't think it is that hard. Like if you have something that you need to say, you know, on first take or high noon or, uh, you know, whatever the show is I, I, where you're the personality and, you know, you're, you're paid to give opinions. I, I think, there's probably a lot of latitude to do it. So when I say philosophically, I think it's more of like a branding thing than sort of, you know, what people are actually allowed to say and not say. Does that philosophical conundrum exist anywhere outside of say the sports media echo chamber? I mean, do, you know, does, uh, (laughs) does Joe, the plumber from Secaucus care is I guess what I'm asking. Like, does, does he even notice or ever even think about that? Or is that something that is only in the realm of, you know, uh, people like you and me who watch this stuff on a regular basis and think about this stuff. Yeah, and maybe that's part of what Levitard's point was, that it's kind of stupid. You know, this veneer is stupid. Why do we need it? Because I don't actually know the answer to that question. Yeah, that, that's fair. So I'm going to ask you to speculate again, sort of in a in a PTI odds makers uh, fashion of, you know, zero to 100 uh, percent. Is, is there even a puncher's chance that, that Dan was actually put on some kind of double secret probation and it just didn't get out there? Ooh, I have no idea. I have no idea. I guess uh, it would seem to me that you can sort of say this once and have a big meeting and, you know, have a meeting of the minds. And, you know, I understand you know, why ESPN doesn't want to be perceived this way. And, you know, you can say to Dan, I understand as the son of Cuban immigrants, why, you know, you would be so compelled and moved um, to come in on something like this. And then, you know, you sort of move on. But I would like, regardless of, you know, whatever the, um, you know, the, the summit, uh, you know, resulted in, I would think that if something like this happened again, um, it would not end as quietly. So I guess that's a long-winded answer not, to say that. I mean, I don't know. If it's you, you, you know what? Let's, let, let's right. Like if you go down this road again, I think, you know, I don't think it ends nearly as quietly and you sort of have real um, actions or consequences in terms of, you know, what Dan Levitard's doing at ESPN. Right. So had, had there been any kind of like public warning and it had just been handled that way, which 
like as far as I'm concerned, uh, and I love Dan and I actually agree with him, but I still think that that would have been totally imbalanced for ESPN uh, to do that. Had they issued some kind of public warning uh, after this, uh, would your grade on Potaro post-Lebitard still be an A rather than a B? <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't think it matters. I don't think it would have changed it that much. And and maybe that B is like really like a B plus because <laughs> I actually, I, I do think not doing anything right in is somebody who, you know, would have written if they had, it would have been, you know, this next news cycle of, you know, ESPN issue statement, ESPN does, right. you know, issues warning. And so yeah. I talked to um, Kelly McBride, who's a former, you know, ESPN ombudsman, um, I think the day after. Uh, Levitar's comments and and she said that she was surprised that nothing had happened but sort of said essentially that maybe the company has learned that if you don't feed the news cycle if you don't you know respond in, in public ways you're sort of you know it's, it's strategic silence I think is the word she used and it's sort of you know it's not more whatever you're doing is more oxygen to the story and so the less you do it's less oxygen to the story yeah, I'm, 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 I'm with that at least in terms of so far. It that it it definitely does seem to work out that you know right. staying silent. No, the follow up question though is like if there are other people who you know in that company who you know see that as some sort of leash that you know they you know are upset with what Dan did one or you know if you're going to have this policy, why are there not going to be consequences? You know, I, I, that's sort of the downside. But um, in terms of the drama of the situation outside um i think it sort of worked out pretty well yeah i have to uh i have to agree with that so what do you what do you think i mean so we we're we're in the election cycle and we have uh you know we have a good long while of this to to go through and uh you know donald trump is very clearly at least so far he is not he's not shying away from uh any any of uh you know at what i would call at best race baiting uh, how, how do you, how do you see it playing out over the next months? I mean, what do you think is the yeah, most think, likely outcome? Yeah, I think, I think that's pretty interesting, right? I think that, that in, in the story, I mentioned that Stephen A. Smith had reached out sort of for guidance about, you know, handling things going forward because, you know, 2020 is going to get a lot more political and you're almost certainly going to have athletes, you know, speaking out in the election likely pretty exclusively against Trump, um, at least, you know, the, the really public athletes. That's the kind of stuff ESPN should be covering, right? And so if they're covering that and then all of a sudden people are complaining about that kind of coverage. Oh, I see. I so, think that's, yeah, yeah. Right. So, so there, you get, you know, LeBron James, you know, goes to a Trump or goes to a, you know, a Kamala Harris rally, right? Like that's something that should you know, be covered on ESPN, I think, in some form or fashion. Um, and then you get, you know, critics, some of the same critics from a couple of years ago who are saying ESPN is political, blah, 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 when really, you know, they're covering the intersection of sports and politics, which they don't want. Right. And then you sort of get to this head where it's not necessarily just, you know, this question of branding, but it's like, you know, we're covering sports and politics, but we're getting criticized for it. Um, and how do we handle that yeah as an example i would say uh, I, t I take the national anthem thing so while i think you know that the the ratings angle whether for espn or the nfl was was probably played up 
you know, that it was played up at all was even probably a little bit too much for my taste, but it was made out to be something uh, much bigger than it was in terms of actual impact. But I think there still are people who will be very vocal about saying, hey, you know what? We don't want to hear about it. We know that it exists. We just don't want to hear about it at all. Those those people exist. And, uh, you know, there to me is the philosophical question. You know, I think, you know, ESPN has to decide how they feel about that, that there are people who don't even want those topics covered at all. And I think at least so far, they've been pretty clear that their policy is, oh, no, that, you know, that is our thing when it when it intersects like that, and, and we're going to stick with it. Yeah, and I, I do think that it's sort of worth saying that, that Patero has been, you know, said over and over again, we will cover the intersection of sports and politics. We will not cover pure politics, I think is the ESPN, you know, phrase of the day totally in bounds and i guess the, the question is sort of it, when you get you know people starting to criticize that coverage or that intersection sort of what do they do or, or what does the data say about that they've been you know that there, there hasn't been any confusion or there hasn't been any you know mixed messaging from patero at the top of espn as far as i know that you know we shouldn't cover the intersection of sports and politics um part of it is just again when he took over bad brand bad branding in, you know, some, you know, conservative circles and just saying over and over again, you know, we're not a political network. That's not what we do. Um, and, and sort of just changing the way people thought about ESPN. Cause I think some of the people that have criticized ESPN in recent years are probably reacting to a couple of high profile events yep. and are not watching ESPN, you know, 24 seven. Yep. Jamel, Caitlyn Jenner, all that stuff that you wrote about in your article, I, I agree. Those things did rise up uh, to, to people talking about them. But then that bec- you know, became the assumption that that's just all ESPN does. When it was never really on the – like you said earlier in, the, in, in this conversation, you know, noticing you know, for the average viewer, they probably aren't going to notice the difference between you know, uh, you know, John Skipper and Jimmy. Right, sort of like on Tuesday afternoon at 2 o'clock on ESPN, exactly. Well, I guess I, I would say one other thing, right? Like, you know, I think, you know, it's quite clear from that, you know, if you read the story I did on Patero, that like the data is very important to him yeah. and sort of, you know, what the feedback is and, and what folks want. And sort of on that vein of sort of what happens, you know, when athletes are, you know, become vocal in 2020, I, I'd be sort of curious what the data comes back on then, right? Like that LeBron James, you know, Kamala Harris hypothetical story, sort of what the data says about that and sort of what the response to that is. I think that's sort of the interesting question going forward. So I'm going to yield to you on this because, you know, when all the data stuff originally was coming out and the data, 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 my my thinking was, uh, you know, the data conveniently just supports exactly what Bob Iger already wanted. Um, and, and that's not, a, by the way, that, that wasn't any surprise to me that it would. And I don't, I don't mean that in any nefarious way. I like, I would expect it to actually work out like that in, in terms of, even if the, even if the survey was completely pure, but uh, you know, how much of it is really that Jimmy is very, very data driven. What's your sense on that? I think he is, you know, very data driven. I don't think that necessarily means that like the politics data is wrong or that, right. Like the politics data is supposed to 
is 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 part of sort of like some nefarious attempt to like depoliticize ESPN. Like right. I think if ESPN thought right, like the masses of American sports fans like wanted to eat up communism with a spoon, they would serve <laughs> them up communism like all day, right? Like they they want to make money. I don't think there's some like uh, you know ulterior motive to you know limit politics because you know they want to be like a center right organization or whatever it is or center left or far left, whatever it is like they just want to make money and so i don't think like i think that they want to reflect right? they want the data to be correct and they want to reflect it you know whatever it says um so i i don't i don't think that there's like an ulterior motive necessarily behind it Gotcha. I guess that's what I'm saying. No, nope, that makes uh, that makes total sense. And I, I didn't think so either. But like I, I, did, I didn't really have a sense for how data driven that they were. And by the way, like I, I, I think the data before any of this wasn't that people were up in arms about uh, or, or weren't all that up in arms about uh, politics in ESPN. Uh, so. Right. They, they were they were mad about Kurt Schilling. And they were mad about Caitlyn Jenner, I think, was the data that they released in 2017. But overall, they, the data, I think, then suggested that ESPN wasn't political, um, okay. sort of at the height of, of the summer of 2017 when, when that was like, you know, the big issue of the moment. Right. Yeah. And so one of the reasons why, you know, Tuesday at two o'clock doesn't seem any different now than before is because it's really probably not that different for anybody. Is that, <laughs> right. is that fair to say? Yeah, I think so. Okay, get you out of here with a, a couple of quick hits. So uh, I, I did look at Twitter right before this call, and I saw that uh, <laughs> that Andrew Marchand posted the final results of his uh, John Smoltz versus uh, A-Rod. Uh, and, and John Smoltz won, but it was close. It was like 52 to 48, which was much closer uh, than I thought it would be. Uh, what is your sense on the Sunday night booth as they, you know, they just had the, I, I think season high ratings for the most recent, uh, this past Sunday, uh, Red Sox Yankees match game. Right. But like the ratings were because it was the Yankees and the Red Sox. Right. It wasn't because like people had like come around to this booth and were like, Oh, I'm going to tune in for a Rod's birthday or whatever. I think it's kind of funny actually for a Rod and Smoltz. Because I think both guys are pretty smart and are pretty, uh, you know, regardless of presentation or, you know, personal style or whatever, like have the ability to, to pretty well analyze a game. And I don't think either one of them is necessarily beloved as a commentator. Yep, and I agree with you. You know, for almost opposite reasons, like Smoltz is too, almost too old school or sort yep. of, you know, can be critical of modern baseball and, and A-Rod is almost like, you know, too, I don't know, like postmodern almost, right? Like yeah. sort of, you know, the Renaissance man of you know, modern day that's, sports media. And that, I was just going to say uh, that, that's why I had kind of disqualified myself from even having an opinion because in, in, in that particular matchup anyway, because I would certainly, I would vote for Smoltz, but I, I ascribe that entirely to, you know, some get off my lawn sensibility because I'm an old man. And uh, yeah, I, I, I guess I, I think it's interesting because I think in like in a different world, both of them would be really good announcers that people like to listen to. And, you know, for opposite reasons, they are not. 
both of them. So, uh, yeah, I agree. So, uh, I, I saw, Maybe that's the I don't know if I, I don't know if I really answered the question. Uh, I, I, I think you answered it well enough for, for, for this podcast purpose. So I, I did check in. I lacked the discipline, and I did check in before the podcast on Twitter. And uh, one of the things that I saw was that, uh, that uh, the service that's spelled D-A-Z-N will be offering its baseball show. Uh, I think it's tonight. Uh, the baseball show is called Change Up. It's with Adnan Verk, and you're going to have to help me with the Scott's last name. From HQ Trivia. The but, HQ Trivia guy, Scott yeah. Rogowski. Yeah, so that show is going to be made available on Twitter tonight. What are your thoughts on that? I think the show itself is, is pretty entertaining. Um, I've watched it a few times. I think Adnan and, and Rogowski are, are pretty good together. It's, it's a different sort of show. The, the question is, right, and it's who's watching it? Like, how many people are need another baseball whip-around show when – you know, you can get that most nights on MLB Network in a pretty, um, you know, a pretty appealing show. I think that that you know is is pretty well regarded. Um, the economics of that show, I think, are interesting. I think the show itself. I, I don't know how many subs it's driving. I think you know, even DAZN was pretty um, transparent in that you know we're not going to judge this by. Viewership. You know, the, yeah. the viewer, you're the subs of the viewership, right? Sort of like, you know, the red and the green, you know, on the balance sheet, strictly on the show, right? It's supposed to be, you know, a marker to the other leagues that, right. you know, we want to do big business right. with, you, you know, the NHL, NBA, NFL. And so if it, if it leads to that, I guess, then it's successful. And if it doesn't, then it's not successful. I think that's their their mark for success on that show. So I, I can't remember exactly when it was, but uh, you wrote a good article on this very topic uh, sometime in, in 2019, at least I'm pretty sure since, since uh, Verk didn't leave ESPN until 2019. Uh, and you, you talked about the economics of, of a, the, the deal for change up uh, with MLB. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. I talked to a, an analyst um, in the UK who's followed DAZN, you know, for a couple of years now. Um, and the way he described it to me was that DAZN coming to the United States with a lot of their, you know, boxing and their fighting stuff, the economics of it made sense based on, you know, how many fans there were, who was willing to pay, um, and content they were going to get, they were going to be able to get and what they were paying for it. So the economics there made sense, but he said the, the, the change up show, which I think is three years, $300 million, if I'm not mistaken, um, it's pretty, um, pretty difficult to justify strictly on the economics of it, which is why I think the success failure metric that the zone is using on that is sort of how far can this propel us with the NBA, NHL, NFL, the, the major leagues here. Yeah. But if you're the MLB, you're thinking what a time to be alive. I mean, how great for them. <laughs> right. hundred million dollars. Right. You know, money. It's found money. You know, like you basically created, you know, $300 million value out of thin air. And so, I guess, right, if you're the NHL or, you know, the NBA and you want to do the same thing, uh, you can call it the zone. Ooh, I hadn't planned to ask you about this, but just in case you have any thoughts, uh, what do you think is going to happen with Sunday Ticket, NFL Sunday Ticket? It's going to stay on DirecTV for now. And then the question is, right, in 2021, what's going to happen to it? Correct. Yeah, I mean, so I, I, I bring it up because... I know that uh, there's a lot of talk that, uh, or at least some talk, maybe maybe I'm overstating it, that uh, that's something something that uh, John Skipper, among other digital players, would be interested in pursuing. Yeah, 
I think a lot of people want to be in business with the NFL or the NFL. That's kind of the only package that will drive subs like in droves, I think. Right. Like Fox built its network in the early nineties by getting the NFL. Um, I think the NFL, like is what I've heard or sort of maybe what I've read um, is that it might make sense to sort of split that up between, you know, something linear and something digital. So, you know, you sort of placate the cord cutters, but also the millions and millions of people who still do have cable. Um, and I wonder if you drive up the value too, if you're able to split it up. Um, so maybe if we're sitting here today, I would say it ends up, you know, in two different pieces, two different, you know, entities, you know, one digital streaming, one more traditional linear, um, both end up with it. I think I would go, I would go that I could see it definitely being two, two different streams, you know, one linear, one digital, but uh, I still think AT&T will wind up with both of those. Uh, just in terms of like the, the, the money that that's being paid. Right. So if you, if you don't give it, if you don't give anybody the exclusive, then the value is the value for either is, is, you know, very largely diminished. I think now I think, if, you know, for the, right. for the gambling people, um, who have direct TV, they're going to need to keep that because, um, I, I have, uh, I have for the last, mm, maybe three months now, a little bit over three months, I've been, I've been using a, a, a digital TV subscription. Uh, I've been using a PlayStation view. And, uh, w- one thing I did definitely notice was like during the world cup, I, you know, getting on Twitter was a, was a bad mistake because there was about a 45 second lag and, uh, you would know about the goals right. before that they before they happen, and so for the people who who can't afford that kind of latency, I can afford that latency. It's not a problem for me, uh, and and any excuse to stay off Twitter is probably a good thing for me. But uh, <laughs> uh, but you know, for other people, I think that it that is actually a legitimate concern. But I still think even if you split that package up, which would be great, and I think a lot of people would love it. Uh, the, the value is, is it being exclusive to one distributor? I, 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 I don't, I can't currently wrap my arms around NF, the NFL making more money on it by splitting it up, but I could be way off base. And, Your guest sounds more educated than mine. You've uh, told me. I don't know about that. So, uh, <laughs> let's see. Uh, do, do you, do you have a, an aversion to talking about the athletic? even for like 20 seconds. Okay. So, uh, I saw yesterday, I, I saw this on the, on the news news, uh, that, uh, that the athletic had announced that it reached 500,000 subscribers. And, uh, not only that, 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 you know, that they expect to, uh, to double up by the end of the year and, uh, and cross the 1 million threshold, um, which is, I have to admit was, uh, much, not maybe not much, but like I, I probably had them at you know three hundred fifty, four hundred thousand, uh, so so that they were half a million is they're they're ahead of expectations for me. I certainly didn't have them being at a million at the end of the year. And another thing I certainly didn't have was that the average uh, annual revenue per subscriber. Uh, now they they made the squishy and they said around sixty four dollars, uh, but I couldn't come up with a way to get to around. That's a 60... funny. That's a funny number to approximate. Yeah. So I couldn't I couldn't come up with a way to get to around sixty four dollars unless there are quite a few people who are playing for the monthly thing, and even though it crosses the point of not being a good deal to be monthly, they stayed monthly, uh, and so all of that was very interesting to me. Uh, what are what any, any thoughts on that in general? 
500,000 seems like a pretty good number. Um, I guess my question would be if you, you know, you've taken, like, is your rate of growth, has it improved that much that, you know, you're going to able, you're going to be able to double this year, right? If you've taken, you know, several years to get to 500,000 has the, you know, the rate of people subscribing improved that much where you're in a position to double now, you know, over the next handful of months. Yeah, they they did at least in any of the any of the reporting that I saw, they they didn't get into what their basis uh, for thinking that was, and so I I just assumed it was you know some kind of a you know typical uh, you know VC startup power curve law where they're they're thinking right. okay five hundred thousand is the number where you know when when you hit once you hit that level things really start to roll, and I you know yeah that's actually sort of just I don't I'm, I I guess I'm not. You know, suggesting it's not true. I just that was surprising to me. Me, um, me as well, by the way. My own, my own ignorance, perhaps. Um, I guess the other thing about the athletic, sort of aside from their numbers, is I think in the United States, um, you know, they've made runs at you know pretty prominent folks. You know, you know people at ESPN and other places, and they haven't necessarily like they've poached a lot of people from newspapers, you know, and from places that are struggling. Um, but they haven't, you know, like gone into ESPN and like taken away like a giant name at this point. But if you look at their operation in the UK, like what they've sort of what it seems like they're about to do with the, the Premier League soccer coverage is actually like poach, you know, a handful of like the biggest, right. you know, Premier League reporters in the UK. And so I think that's pretty eye-opening. Like you know, like the BBC's biggest guy, and you know, some you know long-established people at um, you know some of the biggest sports sections. So I think even you know beyond you know seeing specific numbers that they're putting out, I think you know that's that's eye-opening too. Yeah, I've I've been and you know remain a skeptic on whether whether it's going to work out in the long term. But there's no denying that, uh, you know, and in, and for several years, in some cases, that, you know, people are making good money in this thing uh, and, and, uh, and, and, and still having jobs. So uh, I'm very interested to see how it plays out. Right. And I guess you sort of, this is, we're certainly far afield from my um, areas of expertise. But, you know, you think about, you know, these giant startup companies like Netflix, as I understand it, doesn't turn a profit necessarily. Uber doesn't necessarily turn a profit. Um, and that as long as you're just signing up gobs and gobs of people, um, you know, the specific, you know, balance sheet is less important. I think that's true, at least as far as, fi- you know, finding an exit. I mean, I think that, uh, I think whatever, whatever my skepticism is, I'm not skeptical about this. I think that there, you know, if if it is the greater fool theory, you know, that there's somebody who's willing to pay more than we did for it. If that's the if that's what they're going with, I think the greater fool is definitely out there. I don't think they will have any trouble finding finding uh, a buyer, uh, particularly if you know as they cross five hundred thousand, and uh, and you know, uh, it will be interesting to see whether they they announce a million at the end of the year or not. But 
Um, I, I don't think that they'd have any trouble finding a buyer. What I have trouble with is what happens after they find the buyer. And that's, that's really, you know, my worry is all, you know, I've kicked my can of worry way down the road, but uh, all my worry for what happens to all those riders would be what would happen in the aftermath of any exit for the original investors. Right. Well, I hope any and all of my friends with stock options can cash in on them yeah, me, at some point. Me, me too. I hope, well, you know, like I said, I think there are people who are making some good money in this and so more, more power to them. And, and uh, I, I hope I hope that continues down the road. Ben Strauss, a pleasure to finally have you on the podcast. Thanks for the time. My pleasure. 